and welcome to a Squiggly Animation Podcast special from Edinburgh and from the Move Summit 2024. I'm Steve Henderson. For those not aware, Move Summit is Scotland's animation gathering and it's an event after my very own heart, combining the intense information dump of a symposium and all the joys of a lively and active festival. You're here to learn, you're here to absorb and you're here to enjoy animation at its fullest and hear from animation superstars from around the world. The event is a natural home for animation students and animation lovers alike. And indeed, anyone who wants to hear how some of the world's best animation has been put together. And this year, we've heard from Troy Quain, one of the directors of Nimona. We've heard from Kent Secchi, the cinematographer of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And Jane Wu has been here to explain her journey on Blue Eye Samurai. They're all here as well as a plethora of animation's finest. Uh, you can head over to the website movesummit.co.uk to check out more of the amazing speakers that have been at the summit in 2024. But it's not just blockbusters that share the spotlight at Move. I was lucky enough to be invited to host a few of the amazing panels that the Summit hosts, uh, including a Roots into Industry talk as part of their Emerging Talent Day with Tom Box from Blue Zoo, Darren McGarry from Dean Egg, and John Mortimer from Edinburgh Napier University. You can find out more about the range of panels over on the website. Joining me for this podcast is something very special. In keeping with the Summit's slogan as Scotland's Animation Gathering, we're joined by a gathering of Scottish animation companies to have a deep dive into their TV productions. We're going to be hearing from Wild Child Animation, Interference Pattern, Plum Films and Eyeballs. So I'm going to hand it over to myself live at Move Summit 2024 for the Spotlight in Scotland session. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome, welcome to Friday at Move Summit. Uh, can I have a massive cheer for Move Summit, please? It's been a fantastic few days, hasn't it? Yes. Fantastic. It might be Friday, it might be the last day, but let's keep that energy up, yeah? Um, so my name's Steve Henderson, editor and co-owner of squiggly.com. Uh, we're celebrating 20 years of squigglying uh, this year, whatever that means. If you've only just heard of us, or if you have already heard of us, well done, you've got excellent taste, head over to the website uh, to see all the latest news reviews, interviews and podcasts. Um, thank you very much for coming down for this Spotlight on Scotland session. Rather appropriate that we are here in Scotland's animation gathering. Uh, this event is being recorded as one of those squiggly podcasts too, so you can listen back when this goes live. Uh, I'm delighted to have been invited back to host the Spotlight on Scotland session. Uh, as ever, there's absolutely loads of Scottish talent here, so the Move Summit team have invited an Englishman to rub his nose in all of that Scottish talent. Thank you. Um, the wealth of talent and diverse range of companies and projects uh, here is absolutely amazing. And today we're going to uncover some of the stories behind the stories of some amazing kids TV series made here in Scotland. So please give a warm Move Summit welcome to our panellists. Rona Drummond from Eyeballs, Lucy Tier from Interference Pattern, Mickey McPherson from Plumfills and Ron Henry from Wild Child. Big round of applause please. Hi everyone, I'm Rona Drummond from Eyeballs. Thanks very much for having me. I'm here today to talk about Musical Storyland, a show for CBeebies, um, which was created through um, BBC Philharmonic uh, and Sustain, who are in Derbyshire. Uh, it's a, a show which mixes live action, music, singing, and of course, animation. So series one, um, so it's very exciting to be part of it from, from the beginning. Um, 
and we'll play a little clip in a minute. You'll see where the, the characters are, how the backgrounds look, and then I can talk a little bit more in detail. Fantastic. So, Rona, uh, these stories, uh, they've, they've been around for a while, haven't they? They've been yep. told many, many different times. How did the Eyeballs team approach uh, a, a new way of telling these stories and incorporating the live-action elements in the music? It was very much character design. Um, there was over 30 characters actually within within the 10-part series. Um, and when we first read the stories, we could see how important they were from a historical point of view in terms of being British stories and very um, international stories. So how we brought those to life for a, a young audience was really important. Uh, and our, our lovely uh, character designer here and uh, well, all-round um, animation director, Gary Marshall, uh, was behind the creation of these characters. And uh, I think you'll agree they did a great job, especially as there were so many to create uh, in, in a limited time frame and budget. So, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Lucy. <laughs> sure. Hi. So I'm Lucy. I'm head of production at Interference Pattern here in Edinburgh. Um, I've seen our names everywhere around the move branding. Um, and so I'm here to talk about Dog Squad, which is a really nice show, which is on CBBS and iPlayer. Um, and Hello Halo are the production company based in Glasgow. It's a live action animation hybrid. So they came to us to do the animation. Um, it's all about assistance dogs and the missions they go on and the special skills they use to help their owners in the world. Um, and so, yeah, we had the delightful task of coming up with animated avatars for these gorgeous five dogs um, and, yeah, sending them on some doggy adventures. Well, see, the show has this kind of this real-world mission of putting front and centre the lives of working dogs and does it in a very entertaining way, like, almost like a superhero uh, kind of way. Um, how, how important was it to get that right with a modern audience to, to share this kind of uh, important uh, aspect of, of, uh, of what the dogs of do? What the dogs do, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was great. And so, I mean, the production company, to name check Hello Halo again, the team there were brilliant. But the show originated um, when Jane at Hello Halo read the book Kika and Me by Dr. Amit Patel, who. Um, had a really rare condition where he lost his eyesight very rapidly. Um, and so, you know, had to adjust to a whole new life without his eyesight. Um, and his life was really changed when he was paired with Kika, um, who's his guide dog, who's the most gorgeous dog. Um, and so having read that book, Jane was really inspired about the jobs that these dogs do. And then um, they worked with um, Assistance Dogs UK, uh, the organisation, to develop the show itself. So. All of, you know, the actual, what the dogs do and the roles they play were central from the absolute outset of the show. Um, and, and the dog's handlers, their, their owners had input into the scripts all the way through. Um, and they do these lovely missions. Um, and what we've learned as a team animating them is, like, loads of stuff we didn't know. So my favourite thing, I don't know whether any of you at a pedestrian crossing... Does anybody, has anybody ever noticed a cone underneath? Have you? <laughs> I did not know this, and now I spot them all the time. So when you press the button and wait, if you reach underneath, you'll find a cone with ridges on it. And when the lights go green and it's okay for pedestrians to cross, that cone starts rotating. Yeah. So if you don't have sight, you know you're good to go. My kids were delighted when I told them that. Yeah. So I've, le I've, le I've learned so much. But all these facts are just inherent in these dogs' day-to-day -day life and inherent in the storyline. So it's like the education is just 
part of the story, so it's not something that's in any way bolted on, it's kind of the essence of it. Yeah, it's lovely. Fantastic. Roots and Fruits is a, is a preschool show for CBBS, commissioned by Julia. Um, and its aim and objective is to create a positive connection to fruit and veg for our young audience and encourage them to recognise and appreciate all types of fruit and veggies through comedy and catchy tunes. So our first series is 26.5 and we've just completed series two, which is 21 times five. Finally, a proper show for us vegans. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you why and how, how do I stop the theme tune from running around my head? But I suppose that's, that's a good thing because it, it showcases that engaging power uh, of, of these stories. Was there a, a moment or a, uh, uh, something that happened during the, the, the initial inception of the show where you thought, well, yeah, we can, we can hang a series on this. This sounds like this is a great idea. I think... Yeah, in 2021, when we seeded the show, I suppose, or started to develop it, we were discussing development, discussing format and structure um, through the characters. And um, there was one, we always knew we had to put facts in the show and in fun facts. So the facts are the technical data that we need to know about the, the fruit and veg, and then the fun fact is a funny fact that will link us to Act 3, because the show is set over three acts. Um, and one of the big, big things that we discovered was that potatoes were the first seedlings to be in space. Uh, so <laughs> that caused a lot of conversation. And then suddenly we were doing potato, going to the moon in Act 3, which paid homage to David Bowie and Space Oddities. So the linkage began that way. So that's how we discovered how to, resemble, uh, to revert back to fun facts for the show. So it's a big, big thing. It's a massive thing for us. See, I didn't know we'd be learning about crossing guards and potatoes going into space. This is, this is what Move Summit does best, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, Ron. Yes, so it's the brilliant world of Tom Gates. Um, so we've just completed the third season for Sky Kids. So, um, yep, 60 episodes and two specials. Uh, so it's been great. It's a mixed format show, so there's some live action... It's based on a series of books by Liz Pichon. I don't know if everyone is familiar with that. So that she's sold about 16 million books worldwide. Um, principally kind of make and do built around this character, Tom Gates, and his relationship with his sister and his best friend and the dog and the cat. So, um, yeah, and we, we started work at it, um, just before COVID. Um, so, yeah. So for a show that embraces creativity, yeah. when it was initially commissioned, you and the team were put in a, in a very, you had to get creative really quickly, didn't you? Because it was commissioned a very precarious moment, wasn't it? Yeah, but five minutes before lockdown, um, so Sky, do you, do you think you can still make it? You know, it's like, of course we can. You know, this is only going to last three weeks anyway. Um, <laughs> And then we soon realized it was going to be like a mad scramble to pull it together. Um, we shot the draw which was Liz herself, you know, t uh, teaching or showing you how to draw characters and shapes and designs from the books. We shot that in her summer house garden shed thing. Um, uh, we had the director, we figured out a way we had this box that we put down and it, we could capture everything from the cameras, but it also gave out a ghost Zoom camera feed. So the director was five miles down the road at home 
on a Zoom call with all of these, instead of having people's faces, it was the different camera angles, and he was directing it over a Zoom call. So there was all these things that we had to do. There was a seagull that kept pecking on the skylights. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it was quite challenging, but we had to be not, not just creative with the show, but technically creative about how we pulled it together. Um, even the most innocuous things, you know, by the end of the shoot at Liz's place, we shot, we shot it on 6K um, and we shot it raw because we, we were worried that we, because of trying to be COVID safe, we, weren't, we didn't have the ability to swing lenses. And so we thought, well, we could just crop in if we had it on 6K, not thinking that we ended up with 24 terabytes um, <laughs> of, of footage at Liz's house um, <laughs> during lockdown. So it was like, oh, we'll, we'll just upload it. Um, <laughs> so it took about three minutes and it hit the fair usage thing on her. Uh, I think she was with Virgin Media and it just went <laughs> like this and it's like 47 years remaining. Um, so there was all these different things that kept coming up. Uh, we did the stop motion um, at uh, Jen and Stu uh, Mackie. So they were in their house in Glasgow, so we shipped all this stop motion equipment to their place. I, I don't know what their neighbours were thinking was happening there, but... So they shot it in their loft, and they had all these lights and everything, but the loft was quite low. And if you've met Stu, he's about seven foot nine. <laughs> so every time he came on a Zoom call, he had bruises on his forehead from <laughs> hitting the, the roof beams. Hmm. And it was very organic, because we knew there was going to be these three sections to the show, but we didn't really know how it was all going to hang together. So it was kind of born out of the chaos of working during lockdown and trying to figure all that out. And of course, we always thinking, well, it's going to end. We'll be back in the studio and we'll make sense of it all. But it kept just taking longer. And then eventually, when it looked like lockdown was going to end, the suggestion came out, should we move the production back into the studio? It was like, no, like, don't touch it. It's working. And of course, then we were back in lockdown again. So, you know. So yeah, it was very, uh, and the subsequent uh, two seasons, we were trying to emulate that kind of organic feeling, but of course there was no more lockdown, so we just sent everybody home to work, so, yeah. That was a lot. I yes. Was, I feel like your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you managed to share that with yeah, me. Yeah, I'm here under duress, by the way, so. yeah. Fantastic. We've got some of uh, the amazing artwork uh, that's going to be uh, shared uh, as, the, as, as the talks um, go on. So, um, speaking of, of amazing artwork and, and talent, um, can you, can you all tell me about the talent up here in Scotland uh, used to create these shows? Um, there, there must be a lot of talent uh, uh, from here or, or at least up here. Um, Rona, tell us about the talent. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all of our crew, bar one, based in Scotland. Um, we have storyboard artists here. We've got great storyboard artists. Um, we have fantastic layout artists, character designers, and of course our animation team. Um, obviously, as I've mentioned before, our big focus on this show, with it being series one and bringing fairy tales and, and fables existing, fairy tales and fables alive, was the, the new character design, the new look to bring it to the modern day audience. So, yeah, we're always thrilled with the talent we work with up here and always in awe of them and really grateful because they're a great team and animation's very much a family. I think that's what I love about it. I've come from originally a live action background and it's just a very different feel and uh, I love it for that. 
Mm -hmm. we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that blend of live action and, and animation uh, coming coming together. Yeah, that and that's very common in these type of shows actually, which is lovely. So for us um, in this particular show, the music was created first by the Royal Philharmonic, which is brilliant. So we had those tracks laid down, and we created our characters based on the music and the stories. Those characters were then used for um, live action filming. So they were made uh, for on stage so the kids could interact with them, etc. So they were printed and were big parts of the stage and some of the props like the rainbow and things were, were part of the, the show itself for the live action element. So this one, a lot of the animation was underway before they actually shot the, the live action, which is often the other way, the other way around, you know. So, um, but that worked really well for us. Uh, and of course, the live action was shot really quickly um, and, and we carried on our animation production uh, into delivery. But yeah, and it worked really well. And then obviously we had some comp scenes together and um, the sort of green screen sequences you see at the end with the kids um, in amongst the, the uh, animated worlds. Um, so they were comped together and we obviously created the logo for them and the design of uh, title credits and things as well. So yeah, it was lovely to be uh, part of series one because you do get that integral creation and, and part of that. So it was lovely, yeah. Fantastic. Lucy, can you tell me about the, uh, the talent up in Scotland and how Interference Plan have uh, been able to, to gather it together to create a fantastic show? Yeah, that's nice that we've actually got a, a well, nearly had a dog's code image there. Yeah. Um, I'd love to uh, mention Carolina, uh, Carolina Tomaszewska. Um, I think she studied in Glasgow and was based in Edinburgh. Um, she's now back in Poland, actually, but for series one, she was instrumental in taking the lovely actual dogs and creating these really nice animated avatars of them. And also, so a lot of the design... We had a brief which was, um, one of the ideas that we were briefed with was um, to kind of have the idea of a comic book panel because they, they come up with a mission plan and then they recap the mission and it all gets very dramatic because they're dogs and they have dog energy and nothing is understated. <laughs> so we told that through the medium of comic books and she looked at um, lots of kind of retro comics and old railway posters for our palette and stuff and I think came up with a look that's really kind of specific to the show and really lovely and then also uh Will <laughs> hi Will <laughs> who took over the creative lead on the show um and again has created loads of the design elements and just kept the quality really high um and I think certainly you know in the time that I've been in Scotland the pool of talent that we've had here has really grown I think I moved to Scotland in 2008 and at the time, it was always a struggle when we crewed up for anything. We were having to pull people in through all over Europe. One of our big problems um, back then was uh, helping people find somewhere to stay when we were pulling them over for short-term gigs. And now there's a huge pool of really talented animators in Scotland, and they're just there, and we've enough work to sustain them. So, yeah, Scottish talent is great and growing and, yeah, and lovely to work with. Fantastic. You feel the real energy at Move Summit and, and especially with the Emerging Talent Day. Yeah, yeah uh, right. People are, are coming here to find out more and to, to maybe you know, keep bolstering that kind of talent that's up here. I was watching the We Run a Creative Challenge as part of the Emerging Talent Day and I was kind of looking over the shoulder of all these students drawing away thinking, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Just a good way of scooping up all Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Mickey, can you tell us, about, uh, tell us a little bit more about Scottish talent then, uh, from your perspective? I, I can talk about it from production. Yes. Because we are production. Um, and interestingly enough, <coughs> Risen Fruits is animated. So what we did is, so that everyone's aware, is we 
IP collaborated with us and they did all the 2D animation. We did all the workflow, the production workflow. So we did um, scripts, voices, music, layouts, animatics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we would hand over to IP and then IP would hand over back to us. From our perspective, it was great working with IP. And I have to say, Lucy and Annie and Tom, they dealt with the animation. We just delivered the assets, so that was great. And it was a very successful pipeline, workflow. In terms of our local talent, um, we had a chap called Danny Carr, who's the most amazing designer. You'll never find him anywhere because he's always hiding somewhere, but he's super talented. Um, we had Aoife Crummy, who's sitting in the audience at the moment, who's a um, graduated student, I could say, or non-graduated student, but um, works with us in the department in character design and assets delivery to IP. Big responsibility, I have to say, Aoife, which you dealt with very well. Um, very well. And we have Phil Curran, who might be around, composer, local composer. We had loads of local talent on the show. We also did have some LA influence. Our head writer and co-creator lives in Los Angeles. Another composer lives in Los Angeles. However, 85% of the show was organically grown in Scotland. So that was a kind of big benefit to us. Fantastic. So, I appreciate yeah. the vegetable pun as well. <laughs> <laughs> I worked really hard on the vegetable <laughs> I've got seeded here. I've got organic. I've got fresh. All those words. Fantastic. Deep fried. I don't have deep fried because that would be off the agenda. But thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, Ron, tell us about the, uh, the talent of, uh, uh, that's been working on Tom Gates. Yeah, so, I mean, if you go back to when we started Tom Gates under lockdown, it was probably more broadly spread across the UK. And as what we've seen is as we've progressed with each, because during lockdown, it was just everybody was at home. So there was no moving to go and work on a production. What we've seen since then is over time is like each subsequent season and each subsequent project we've done as a studio, more and more people have either moved and stayed in Scotland and we've been able to cultivate a lot of younger talent uh, through these productions. I think that's the thing that makes me personally the most excited is seeing younger people come in and being able to afford them that opportunity and build the talent base. Um, whereas traditionally, you, you know, you were having to import experience in order to get that going. And I think it's been great to watch that happen across the three seasons of Tom Gates that we've done over the last, I guess, four years. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, there's lots of really incredibly talented people in Scotland. And I think it's just about keeping that, the wheel turning and keeping it fed with like high quality productions. Because um, that's ultimately what it's about. You need the work. Um, and good people follow the work as well. So yeah. That, Really, my take on it. Fantastic. Um, there's an old, um, is it the old adage, you never work with uh, children or animals. So I suppose uh, for the live action <coughs> hybrids, I need to ask: uh, was it was it a pleasure working with the kids on on, on musical fairy tales? Uh, well, it was actually Sustain, who uh, Derbyshire mm. production company. Uh, he was the creator of the show, um, Sam Sam Roberts. So he shot the live action um, and and then fed us back you know, the, the green screen elements for us to pull together. Um, and he used our animatics whilst, you know, filming. So it was, it was a really lovely collaboration, um, <coughs> but we didn't have to go on set for that. We were just doing the animation. You spared the, uh, yeah. any, 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 anything you could have given me there that would have been a... Yeah, but they had a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> yes. The kids were great, you know, and it really shines through with the music as well and the presenters and the singing. Yeah, it's a really happy show and yeah, it, it's lovely. And it, it, it certainly cheered everyone up whilst mm. working on it, so yeah. 
And obviously, the, um, the dogs in Dog Squad are, are actual dogs. It's not there's not like a team of, of dogs that all look the same like they would do for a film. Like, you know, it's, they're all they're all the same dog. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and they do those jobs. Yeah. Yeah. They're not actors. Well, they can probably add it to their CV now. You know, they are TV stars, if not actors. Oh, apparently quite prima donnas. Um, so the produ Helen Teeling, who was the fabulous producer for Interference Pattern on this. Um, took her dog Klaus out for a walk one lunchtime and stumbled upon the dog squad set where they were filming. <laughs> I said, well, this class an extra, but apparently no. Apparently the dogs don't like any other dogs to be involved. <laughs> oh, well, we're getting all the gossip now. This is great. <laughs> so um, British, uh, British TV, children's TV, has this incredibly, incredible legacy and all of these shows that we've been talking about today have added to that, to that opus. Um, what do you all think makes TV in the UK unique? And do you believe that Scottish animated series are unique apart, you know, stand unique within the UK animated? Uh, who wants to tackle that one Oof. first? That's a big one. Yeah. I would defer to you. No, I, I would defer to you. Oh, no, Rona, what do you have to say on this? That's a really difficult question. That's yeah. a really tough question. Um, I don't think it's unique um, because when the work comes to us, we all want to produce it. We all want to make it look as good as it possibly can. Um, very much with children's TV, money is on screen. You know, you put as much of it on there as possible so that you can be proud of the final output. Maybe that is a unique point to make. Um, being representative of Animation Scotland, um, we like to be really proud of what the final outcome is. So um, certainly our studio, and I can speak for all the other studios that are part of Animation Scotland, we are really proud of of what makes screen. So I don't know if that's a unique element or not. I would think lots of other studios in the UK feel the same, but certainly we want Scotland to be on the map internationally. So every piece that we produce has to be of a standard to be spoken about. So I would say that's possibly our unique point. And you're all keeping quiet. No one else wants to, <laughs> no one else wants to tackle that. What, what is it that makes British television you know, children's te animated television so good because it's got this incredible legacy, hasn't it? So, I think it's always been innovative, you know, technique-wise. It's, you know, it's, if you look at it, it's a quite broad spectrum of styles and techniques where, you know, it's not as formulaic as maybe, you know, the major US-based streamers, you know, t that tends to be, not generic, I think that's unfair because there's really great stuff there, but it's of a style and a look, and I think British animation is far more broad. I don't know. Yeah, Could be wrong. Range. Yeah, yeah, very varied, yeah. yeah. Kind of quirky, I mean, singing fruit and veg. Yeah. <laughs> Potatoes on the moon, I think, yeah. <laughs> British TV's never been afraid to kind of explore quirks and have fun and be silly. It's, you know, it, it doesn't have to fit a, a mould, so it's, yeah, it's really fun to work on. Very humour forward, yeah. I would say. And I think studios aren't frightened to look at different styles of animation. They're not just going to stick to 2D or, you know, they might do stop motion, might do 3D, 2D, a real mixture of mixed media. And I think that probably helps increase our skill and understanding as well and makes it more interesting for the audience. Fantastic. And you mentioned as well uh, the money being on screen. And, and um, I often hear about, uh, you know, the downside of producing TV being tight budgets and, and tight deadlines and, and all this kind of stuff. But that, that type of thing often breeds ingenuity, doesn't it? And, and creativity within 
uh, you know, within these tight deadlines. And we heard all about what happened during lockdown. That's ingenuity <coughs> personified, obviously. But um, could you tell us about the, um, how, how ingenuity has been bred on these shows? Yeah, I think once you, you get the script, you read the script, then you find out the budget, and you think, right, <laughs> how am I going to make this work? How can we as a team make this work? And it's about pulling together your, your team leaders, your supervisors, and, and creatively thinking outside the box, what's going to make this show stand out? Um, design, it's usually design, because that's what's going to get remembered. Obviously, the animation department, very important, because they then have to take those designs and put them on screen. So it's just about involving everyone at that stage and, and working out, you know, what is the scope of this budget? What are we wanting to deliver? What are we going to be most proud of at the end? And just keeping true to your beliefs throughout it, really, and just saying, you know, that that's what we're focusing on uh, so that that money is shown on screen, do you know? Mm -hmm. Is that something you could all agree with? Yeah. Yeah, Fine. yeah. I, th I think from our perspective, we, when we were developing the show, we were developing within a budget remit, so we roughly knew what we were going to be working to. So that meant that we could then detail and start to say, this is what we can afford to do, and this is what we can't afford to do. And then that was various conversations with IP about volume of characters, about length of sequences, about how many characters on stage. So we just kept developing and developing until we got to a happy place with the budget that we were all comfortable to say, let's, let's push it forward and let's make it work. But it, it does take a lot of ingenuity mm. and a lot of brain power to work around the problems because there's always issues to address. Yeah, and that's, again, our shows is a mix of live action, animation and the BBC Philharmonic. So, you know, and the creation of all that music and all the artists involved. So that budget had to be divvied up very carefully, mm. you know, to make it work for everyone. So yeah. everyone within that had to be very, you know, creative in their thinking process. I think it's worth saying is that w when you see a show, you don't get to see how much it costs. So you're judging it on its, you know, aesthetic merits or, you know, narrative or is it funny, is it great? But, you know, nobody knows how much this costs. They just say, is it good or not? Did I enjoy it or not? And I think that's what you strive for. So you get given a project and a scope of work and a budget, and you, you try and be innovative and creative to get as much of that on screen as possible because you want it to stand up next to everything else that's on TV at the moment. You know, and that's also US-based content, which is typically high budget. So I think we're always striving to get as Rona says, as much of that money on screen as possible in as ingenious a way as we can. So, that it, you know, you, you take it a million bucks and you make it look like 10 million bucks. And I think that's the thing that we do here in Scotland really well because we want to be up there with the best. And we, but, we, you know, we don't have those kind of budgets. And that's fine because I think there's also a law of diminishing returns. You know, the more money you get, you know, the less better it gets, it's, it's a bit, you know, there's a fine balance there. I wouldn't say no to a bit more. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the, the budget is the budget, though. Yeah. There's um, never a discussed point afterwards. It's just yeah. how it looks and, and yeah, because yeah. it's tricky then. Speaking to Roots and Fruits, because we worked with Mickey on that one, uh, Mickey actually thought really hard about it because it wasn't absolutely tons of money. And Mickey really thought before we went into production, um, about what the really important creative was going to be. And so there were a limited number of camera angles, which worked really nicely and actually, you know, fit with the style of the show anyway. Mm -hmm. um, 
lots of reuse of animation, crowd reactions, etc., um, where you can, where it works so that we could then really focus on the bespoke performances when you've got these characters on stage singing and dancing. And use of, you know, runner beans on stage, because they're all dancing in sync pretty much, then you can have, you know, a huge cast of characters on stage where normally you're like, we just have one, one character moving at any one time. So actually, I'd like to credit Mickey, because he really put thought into, you know, where the budget should be to get the most bang for your buck on Roots and Fruits. And so that was really helpful. Yeah, it was great. It still oh. troubles me. <laughs> <laughs> it often adds to the charm, though, doesn't it? The, the idea of, of kind of reusing and reiterating and, and, and things. And we, even we look back to Danger Mouse are using a steering wheel to stop the avoid yeah. lip sync. That's a classic <laughs> use of, of, of kind of rebudgeting and reusing animation and, and, and things. But it's, it adds so much charm to it, doesn't it? I think the term recycling comes into play. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very environmental. So we use recycling. Recycling is at the top of the agenda and every call. Recycle, recycle, recycle. But that's environmentally <laughs> friendly. That's exactly right. <laughs> we are green and we are... Yeah, render yeah. ones. Yeah, right. <laughs> the render button, Ticking the dreaded all. render button. Ticking all the boxes, I love it. Yeah. Can you tell me about working with the broadcasters to ensure that it fulfills the requirements that, uh, as educational programmes and entertainment programmes? Bear in mind they're all in the front row. Yeah, <laughs> I've just done a little slide. <laughs> um, well, for us, it was obviously hitting the educational mark, so talking to the educational consultants on the show, and we had cultural um, specialists on the show as well, because obviously these are really well-known fairy tales and fables that are, some of them, very international. So we had to be very careful that we were correct in the way that we um, created the characters or the backgrounds to represent wherever they may be um, and that was great that's just a real collaboration you know you would share your designs get feedback that be shared within the expert panel uh, and then you'd amend accordingly but it was good to have that really because you know otherwise you are sort of slightly stabbing in the dark um, so that that was really useful from our perspective I'll, I'll we're all looking at you <laughs> yeah. go on um, <laughs> As always, I'm developing and then collaborating. It's, 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 it can be tough at times, but at the other time, it's very rewarding. So I have to say on, on Julia's behalf, um, exceptionally great at feeding back notes to us to give us direction and say we should be focusing here and here. So, no, it, it's really useful. And I suppose our background is advertising, so it was always a two-way, two-way with client and agency about the creative. It's always about the creative. So, so it kind of works to our benefit, really, in, in that area. So, no. I think with Dog Squad, it was it, because the whole concept came out of assistance dogs and because the dog owners and various assistance dog organisations were involved right from the outset, like kind of the educational aspect was just so inherent to the show that that's just there. And I think because they're dogs, it's entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> they're just so cute, honestly. Because our scheduling issue on the show is that all of the missions that they do have to match the live action footage. Uh, and animation takes a lot longer than filming. <laughs> and the bulk of the animation couldn't be started until we had images back from the set. Um, but, oh, it was such a pleasure. We just got all, these, all this footage of gorgeous dogs doing gorgeous things. So I think, like, entertainment and education were just kind of baked into the concept of the show. So that was a bit of a no-brainer.
Fantastic. And, and can you tell me a little bit about the audience's reception to that, uh, that, that kind of entertainment and education blend? Obviously, the shows have, have real missions in getting children engaging with, with music, with understanding uh, in, in terms of service dogs and uh, with creativity and with uh, singing and dancing vegetables. You know, it, it, it's, it's that kind of... Uh, the, what, what are the, what's the audience reception been? Oh, I've written some fruits. I've got some audience feedback um, just to hand. Um, one of them was uh, from a lady called Catherine. I've always tried to encourage a balanced diet for my child, but roots and fruits has helped to make his, his, this more fun for my two-year-old. So lots of positive feedback in terms of um, positive engagement with the fruit and veg. Amazing. You get two-year-olds to eat their vegetables. That's, uh, That's pretty impressive, I think. It is. Yeah, it's very impressive. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 Tom Gates been in, encouraging more creativity and yeah, I mean I think that it's re I mean apart from the fact that Tom is a really engaging character and he's very relatable, um, that it's really engaging for, for kids to watch. You know, um, they get taught to draw. There's lots of really cool, cool things they can do. Um, it's got some, you know, like magic tricks that they can learn. So that it's a little bit of everything, um, and I think that's what works really well. Um, what we found over time is that the narrative, there's a lot of demand for more of the narrative, so people want to know more about Tom and his life, which is really great. Um, so that's been good. And I think it's like, you know, it evolves as it goes along, but stays true to the original idea, which is really around the books um, and the interactivity and the fun aspects uh, around that for kids. Amazing. Uh, we'll open up to audience questions uh, if we, we have some. I think I saw some hands earlier on, but if you put your hand uh, nice and high and uh, wait for the microphone to head your way. I think we've covered everything perfectly. No one's got any <laughs> Come on, don't be shy. There we go, front row. Um, I'm really into like the very kiddie kind of cartoon drawing. Uh, that's what I kind of stylize in my art. Are you taking any kind of interns soon, or like any, any, you know, <laughs> hint, hint? Straight, straight, straight forward to the point. We've actually just um, hired through the Reset program. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, so I'd, I'd look that up. So every year, there's a second year running actually. Um, interns uh, apply and meet with studios and it's an eight-month internship. So that's actually just about to start at the beginning of March. So I would definitely keep an eye out for that for next year. Um, but also just keep contacting us all. And, you know, we're always very good at bringing people in for um, work experience, etc. especially if there's a show ongoing. But, yeah, definitely look out for Reset. I'd second that. We've used Reset twice and it's worked out really well. I think the thing to do is just keep going to the website. We, we've got a recruitment page that you know, there's a hello address. Send it through, send your work through, just persist. You, we're very committed to hiring locally. So you just say, I'm here in Scotland. Please, please, please. Just keep on, yeah. you know, it'll happen. We also hire through Reset and we're really looking forward to having our new Reset people start. Um, we do um, mentorships, which we do through universities. So uh, historically, we do it through DJ CAD and Glasgow Cali. And so every year, we have two or more mentees who, who come to us one day a week through the final couple of semesters of their courses. Um, and that's been brilliant. That's been really successful for the students and for us. That's a really nice program. So if, you, if anybody here is a student and not at one of those universities, 
talk to your course leaders um, and put them in touch with us because you know where the space for us to add more mentees, we will. We really like doing it. Um, and yeah, in terms of getting in touch, we, yes, we really try to hire locally. We get a lot of people contact us, which is brilliant. If you message our jobs account, you will get an automated response saying, thank you, we'd love to keep your work on file. We might be too busy to get back to you. But don't be disheartened if somebody doesn't get back to you straight away. We always, we, you know, sometimes we need 20 3D animators and sometimes we need, you know, 2D background artists. <clears throat> and so it it's just really comes and goes as to what roles we're seeking at any given time. And we do look back through applications when we get a new job that we're crewing up for. And it, it kind of helps, you know, if something's nearer the top. So leave it a few months, but just quietly, persistently stay in touch with yeah. us. We do look... And we do go through, we do save people's work. We can't reply, you know, in person at length to everyone who gets in touch with us. But it doesn't, it doesn't go into a void. They're also attending these events and yeah. any of the Animation Scotland events or the um, Gordon's, what's it called? Clanimation. Clanimation events for freelancers. They're great. And Animated Women Scotland as well. It's a great way to meet other animators, other producers. And it does help because then we remember names and faces. Um, and as Lucy said, it's all about the shows we've currently got on commission. So the more we get commissioned, the more we can hire locally. The right question, the right time, the right place. That's a fantastic it's question. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. A question that there. Uh, how would you go about working with freelancers? So, um, as most of us will testify to, our studios have a certain number of permanent staff and the rest is all crew, and that's usually dependent on the, the production you're working on. So, uh, for example, we're currently working on a, a 2D hand-drawn show, so those are the, the people we're recruiting for. Um, other shows like this, obviously, different kind of uh, rigged simple rigged animation so we just look for what we need at the time so uh, as lucy mentioned send in your reel keep contacting us we have a talent at eyeballs uh, email address and we do all view the reels that come in um, we do keep them uh, in assist on a system so that we can refer back to them if something comes in but yeah again it's about the familiarity if, if you're local just come and see us, um, come to the events, ask questions, because we, we're all very visual, so we remember faces <laughs> better often and reels than we do uh, CVs, so yeah. Uh, Mickey, obviously it's, you don't run an animation studio, you run a production office. Is it a similar story in terms of people may, may want to get involved in production? Yes, 100%. So we'll always take applications in. We have a core staff, depends on production. We just um, staff up, staff down. Um, interestingly enough, on, on Roots and Fruits, is we do have Aoife's animation stroke design. We do have a designer who does VFX and compositing. So we do hire from the animation world, I suppose, um, dependent, on the, dependent on the project. Yeah. I think what I would say in terms of recruiting freelancers is that what I really like about our industry is that it doesn't matter how you look, what you wear, you know, you don't have to be able to spell or have good grammar. If you're real, it's good. You know, if we're hiring for animators and you can make things move and you understand motion, 
then, you know, fundamentally, that's what's important. Mm -hmm. So make sure you've got a great reel, but it's a super open industry, and, yeah, yeah nobody has to fit a certain mould. And just, just keep updating your reel, yeah. keep updating, updating, and, and sending it in, yeah. Yeah, if I can just jump in there as well. I think if you're relatively new to the industry or a recent graduate, I, th I, th I, th I think try and be more specific when you apply for a position, you know, um, because it, we primarily do CG work, so that's a wide range of disciplines, and we get a lot of young people just saying, here's my you know, student portfolio. It's like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to model? Do you want to rig? Do you want to animate? Do you want to light? Because it can make a world of difference when we're recruiting in terms of what we're looking for, because it, it's, it's good to be specific. So think about what your superpower is, because it's really helpful. Can I jump in there, though? Because if I'm, up, you know, I'm always hiring for a specific role, and very much if a reel has a bit of work on there that, that I can see is going to work for that style of the show, then that will definitely stand out for me. But we actually, in our studio, we do still have quite a lot of generalists, and I really feel that, you know, if you're just finishing uni, certainly if you're going to go into 3D, there's probably a bunch of pipeline roles that you've not even encountered yet. And so... I also think be really open to finding your way into a field that you might absolutely love and excel in, rather than, you know, deciding before you've left uni that, you know, you've, you've locked onto a very specific and small role within the industry. And, and, you know, I might be hiring for an animator, and as long as they've got really good, uh, solid animation skills and they're real great... But if I'm deciding between two people and then I, I also see that one of them's got some lovely life drawing in their portfolio, that would tip me their way. So I would say you do have to have the relevant skill and good examples of it, but I think that you can have some breadth in your reel and focus on quality. Fantastic. <laughs> um, any more questions? How would one go about getting a project picked up with you know, sort of like a studio for like this sort of thing. If people come to the studio with ideas. Mm. If the studio has a development producer, that's obviously a great way to, to send in your ideas. That development producer will then read through them all, decide what they think is good, share it with the wider team, uh, and then meet with you and then work out an angle as to which broadcaster to potentially go to first. Um, and if you're lucky enough to get some interest, then you could be looking at local government bodies like Screen Scotland who might help with some development funds um, for you to develop the idea further uh, and then look for your co-production partner um, or whoever that may be. We, we've got a head of development, so we get quite a lot of people sending in project ideas and we'll forward them to our head of development and she'll work through the idea and if there's, you know, if there's enough interest there, then we'll reach out and then take it from there. Uh, I think that's the best way, just you know, send it in. Do you get a lot of ideas sent? Do you, is this something that happens? Do you, uh, do you get more ideas than CVs sometimes? Or? No, I think more people looking for work, but we get quite a lot. It's, it's quite a broad range that come in. Hmm. You know, there was a chap who sent one and he worked in the Orkney Islands as a, I don't know, it was, something to do with seals. And now he developed an idea about the journey of the seal and, it, you know, sent it in. Yeah. yeah, it can be the most 
you know, the, the, there's literally n nothing that's off the table in terms of what people come forward with. Mm. Um, a lot of people have published books, which is quite a common thing, say, well, I wrote this children's book and now, you know, I want to get it animated. Normally they think it's going to cost about 15 pounds. And then when you tell them, <laughs> when you tell them it's about 15,000 a minute or something, well, it's not, but, you know, you never hear from them again. Mm. Yeah. I, I also think I don't think people realise how long the journey is, the yeah. development journey is. It's a very long journey. Um, so you've got to have lots of patience. Just because you've got an idea doesn't mean it's going to be on screen next year. It's usually around about five years. Do you know? Yeah. You know obviously, I'm talking on averages, but um, yeah, it's a lengthy process. So you have to have lots of patience and lots of other ideas at mm. the same time. Yeah. Tom Gates was years from when it was, shall we make an animated TV series to when it got the go-ahead. It was years. Uh, and that's a successfully published book. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. So if people want to see these shows, people want to, to find them, I have fear here we're going to hear the word iPlayer quite a lot. But um, <laughs> uh, Rona, how would people find musical storytelling? The, um, it was a 10 part, it's a 10 episode series. Five episodes are currently live on CBBS, and the remaining five are launching just before Easter, 28th of March. So um, yes, the iPlayer. Um, Dog Squad series one and two and uh, Pups in Training special can be found on iPlayer. We're 10.45 daily on CBBS um, and on the weekends we're 1.55 I think on CBBS and on the iPlayer and on BBC Radio. CBBS Radio I should say. Yep. Sky Kids, sign up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. There's two seasons and the third season is coming soon. Okay, thank you very much. Well, this has been a fascinating insight into some wonderful productions. Now TV, yes. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I want to get that right, yeah. Um, it's been a fascinating insight into, into Scottish animation, uh, a, a small part of, mm -hmm. of uh, a big country doing fantastic work. Uh, so can I can have a huge round of applause, please, for our panellists today. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining me for this Squiggly Animation Podcast special live from Move Summit 2024. Uh, if you want to find out more about the summit, keep your eyes on their social media uh, and on their website, which is movesummit.co.uk. And mark your calendar for 2025 when Move Summit will return in February. I'd like to thank the team at Move Summit and Interference Pattern for assisting in putting this podcast together. So thanks very much to Tom Bryan and to Helen Teeling and the team uh, and to our fantastic panellists and audience for the Spotlight in Scotland session. And thank you for joining us for this Squiggly Animation Podcast special. Don't forget, we're on all the usual social medias. You can find us on X, you can find us on Instagram, you can search for us on Facebook. Uh, but don't forget, for all the latest animation news reviews, interviews, podcasts, and everything else from the world of animation, head over to squiggly.com. Squiggly.